0: This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker,
1: you'll find what you came for here and more.
0: So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Listen, if you're still living with bladder accidents, stop. It's time to get your life back. I was just like you until I found Real Relief with Axonix Therapy. It's not a pill or a pad. It's a clinically proven advanced treatment. Get started at findrealrelief.com. That's findrealrelief.com. Consult a bladder specialist to find out if Axonix is right for you. Results and experiences may vary. For more information about safety and potential risks, go to findrealrelief.com. Welcome
1: to episode 13 of pad a and i am absolutely not feeling very good so i'm in the bath in fact i gave up uh, caffeine i just went cold turkey on the old caffeine three days ago and i i feel absolutely shit i'm tired i'm achy my legs ache i have a headache my lower back aches i'm extremely grumpy i can't believe this actually i, I didn't think i drank that much caffeine I always start the day with a good strong coffee and then uh, uh, I'd have tea for the rest of the day. But if I was in town, I'd have a coffee. And uh, if I was on my way somewhere in a car, I'd have a coffee if we stopped at a garage. Occasionally, maybe I'd have an afternoon coffee for myself at home. But I wasn't keeping count of how much I was drinking. But Jesus, I can't believe these withdrawals are seriously bad. I'm in fecking bits. I think i think I'm dying if this isn't withdrawals then i am actually dying i think i hope it's withdrawals it's if heroin is anything like this it's i can understand why you wouldn't give it up like i'm drinking lots of herbal tea and water but i'm off caffeine for 3 days now and it's not getting any better so i'm not going to talk long here i've actually had to go into the bath to lie down and uh, well obviously in in warm water Uh, Poor me. Poor me. Yeah. Anyway, that's my trivial life. I wish I could just be a bit more profound, actually. Uh, That's one thing I've been wondering about recently. Why can't I be profound? Like, I come on here every week and I'm just nattering away. I'm not like a Bono or a Tommy Tiernan or the fella from the Frames who can just come on. I wish I could just come on and go, hey, you know... um, Leave pauses after every sentence and say something really profound. No, I just come on and talk about my fucking coffee withdrawals. So when'll I like, when'll I become like profound? I'm over fifty years of age and I'm still not profound. Whatever. Anyway, um, I'm uh, talking to John Connors, and uh, he's brilliant actor. He's in Love, Hate, uh, and I hope you enjoy this. Can you hear that? Yeah. It's good. Oh, yeah. It's professional. Oh, great. <laughs> yeah, thanks for coming in, John. Thank you for having me. Yeah, no problem, yeah. Uh, how did it go? Uh, we were shooting a kind of a film on Saturday, so...
2: Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it went I'm well. All yeah. right, yeah. You were with Finbar Fury, actually. Yeah, I got to meet Finbar Fury, who was a hero of mine, so I was a bit starstruck, but uh, I yeah. soon got comfortable with him, and he was telling us brilliant stories about, you know, Christy Moore and uh, the Luke Kelly and Ronnie Drew, the Pecker done. Yeah. and uh, oh, I was just heaven for me, so I had a great uh, mm. he day. <laughs> he held up a lot of the set, you know, but it was great.
1: Yeah, just telling stories. Telling
2: stories, and a shanaki, you know, he's a shanaki, basically, a master yeah. storyteller. A yeah, bard, you know. Uh, great meeting him.
1: He's a nice man, isn't he?
2: Beautiful. Absolutely beautiful. He ah, it makes you feel comfortable.
0: He does, yeah. The moment
2: you meet him, you know. And even there was a, a woman on set after you left, a 98-year-old woman, they brought her down. She was from the area, and she was peeling spuds in the scene. And the director said to her, do you know who that is? He sang Sweet Sixteen, because they knew she liked that song. And she said, what do you mean? Mm-hmm. said, he's sang it, he's the original. And he said, Finbar. And she started crying. And he sang her Sweet Sixteen. Really? Holding an umbrella over her head. What a gent. Oh, that's lovely.
1: Yeah. Uh, Yeah, I'm sorry I had to leave early because I was enjoying the stories. Yeah. And I looked up the pecker done then after, I didn't know. I I hadn't heard of him.
0: Yeah.
1: Played the banjo, yeah. And uh, there was another woman then I looked up. uh, Margaret Barry. That's
2: it. Margaret Barry. She's amazing, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Brilliant.
1: Absolutely Uh, brilliant, yeah. I got a version of her uh, singing... uh, Lag and Love, and it was amazing. Yeah, amazing.
2: Yeah, yeah. Her and uh, Her and Packard and I, uh, an album together as well. Oh, did they? Yeah, brilliant it is. Yeah,
1: I must check that out. Yeah. So, uh like, we've been, we've been working together on a f- couple of things, haven't we? Yeah, Jeez. that's right. Yeah, mong another. Yeah, yeah. Uh, classic. I think.
2: <laughs> <laughs>
1: yeah, yeah. Yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah it could be. A, you never yeah, know. It could, anyway, be cool, yeah. yeah.
2: yeah. Yeah, that was uh, that was an interesting, <laughs> interesting shoot. Yeah. But you're great night,
1: are you? Uh, thanks. Yeah, I haven't seen it yet, so
2: yeah. Next Thursday.
1: Hopefully. Uh is it next Thursday? And the yeah. film fly, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's right, yeah. And uh and we've been doing other various things. But um so uh i I picked you up at your house in Kulak, is that where you grew up? Is that, I did. Have you have yeah, grown up in Coolock, yeah?
2: Yeah, but I was born in London. How oh, uh, were you? A fact that my brother always slagged me about with me two brothers. You're a Brit. <laughs> That's what they say, yeah. I have a, <laughs> a tattoo saying fighting Irish. I came in when I was about 15. This was like because I was so insecure about being born in London. Yeah. And my British, what the fuck, yeah. You should have a British bulldog there. And that was it. But now I learned to take it, you know. But I was kind of, I was born there. Like circumstances took me, me parents there. Basically, my father was in, um, he was, uh, he hijacked a taxi while he was drunk. Mm. Crashed it and broke his hip. Went to hospital. In Ireland? In Ireland, yeah. Went to hospital and uh, he had armed guard, you know, because he was going to be going for a sentence for what he'd done. Mm. And uh, me mother went in and they were engaged at the time. And, you know, when travelers get engaged, it's a, it's a big thing. Like, the it's, it could go on for three or four years, but you always end up getting married. And if something like that were to happen, him going to prison, that would prolong it another two or three years. They're already waiting three years. So she went in and sca- escaped him out the window. And he went to England. Really? And that's how I was born there. <laughs> yeah. That's a that's a great
1: story. Yeah, yeah.
2: It's a great way to start a yeah. start to a marriage. Yeah, <laughs> that's love.
1: <laughs> yeah, I know. Yeah, yeah. To help your uh, your future husband escape yeah. from prison. Yeah, that's 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 like outlaw stuff, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. Yes, you know.
2: Well, I was born in London because of it. But there you go. So you're the first child. Yeah, right? I was the first. Yeah, Not many more. I Two younger brothers, one a year younger, and one seven years younger. Yeah. Who was a pain in the ass. Yeah. You know, but uh, he's my brother.
1: I yeah, uh, to put up blood, or, you know? yeah. You have to, yeah. And uh, so, so what did your father do?
2: Well, he was um, he did many things, labor. apart from
1: uh, uh fashion <laughs> <taxes>. <laughs> and robbing them. yeah yeah.
2: Uh, he, he, ba- he went over there that time and they were in London for a couple of years and he did labor and on building sites, and that's kind of what he did just hand work stuff with his hands all his life, mm-hmm. you know. And mm-hmm. uh, nothing really uh, creative or anything like that, although he was a big film buff, you know. And that's kind of what sparked my interest initially into. In the films, you know, he got me interested in the westerns and then the action films and then Scorsese mm. kind of stuff. And this was yeah. when I was really young, you know.
1: What age were you then?
2: Oh, up until I was about eight, because that's when he passed. But I'd mm. seen all these films. Mm. Until that, so yes. Like that uh, Scorsese stuff? Good good yeah. fellas, Taxi Driver, even Scarface, all this kind of stuff he showed me, you know. I was mad. I didn't really understand them at the time, but later went on to become some of my favourite films, you know. Yeah, and what kind of westerns can you remember? John Wayne westerns, mm. uh, like The Searchers. Uh, mm. True grit, Man of Shot Liberty Valens. I love westerns. I saw every traveler loves westerns. Anyway, you know, and my grandfather had like every John Wayne film you can imagine. So he had like every single film, which mm. was like 230 films and about 30 or a half hour films made in the early 30s. And he even had all them. So it was just a library for me. I was kind of the only grandson he would give them to, because I give them back the way he gave them to me. You know. This is your father's father. Yeah, uh, no, me mother's, my mother's father. father. Yeah, yeah.
1: That's amazing to have
0: that growing up. Yeah,
2: yeah, yeah. Just a love for it was. We kind of seen the westerns and especially with the the Native Americans, kind of similarities between their cultures. There's kind of similarities, you know.
1: You identify with them. Yeah, we'd identify with
2: them. Yeah, yeah, we'd identify Mm -hmm. with them. Even cultural stuff, uh, the way they get married young and uh, stick together in tribes and families, and Mm -hmm. even like there's a, you know, if someone dies, if a father, if your father dies, a Native American culture and most of them anyway, if your father dies you were then kind of seen as um uh, incapable of becoming a man or providing a living or and you'd be kind of be ostracized been arrested and travels were like that as well S- similar thing happened to me when i was growing up so your father died when you were young yeah well, he suicide that's how it happened yeah. basically yeah he um yeah, he was like he was suffering with mental illnesses like his whole life from 13 what uh, kind of illness do you know? He was schizophrenic. Really? Yeah, he was schizophrenic, yeah. So he was on like medication at a very young age and then all throughout his life, you know. And basically, yeah, he ended up it ended up getting too much from him. He had a kind of very stressful family life with his brothers and sisters, his siblings. They came from Limerick at 13 and moved to Darndale. And Darndale, you know, it's a pretty rough spot in Dublin and especially back in that time. Mm. And uh, most of his brothers and sisters was very unusual for travellers, especially travellers back then ended up on heroin. Um, because they weren't mixing with ravers, really. Mm-hmm. They were, you know, they were just in a settled community, and heroin was big in there at the time. At that time, you know, people didn't really know what heroin was. They thought it was, you know, the next hash. You know what I mean? Right. Yeah. So it kind of ended up ripping the family apart, and and you can imagine the your, sort of drama that his, happened. Your father's family. Your father's family. Yeah. yeah. His brothers and sisters. Yeah. So all yeah. of them ended up in a very bad state, either suicide or overdose or pff, AIDS, heroin prison, you know, for 20 years them, you know, I and mean, every one of them but put one, me aunt, you know, who was, was the only one who kind of got out of it, you know. Jeez, that's hard, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, so obviously this was all the thing. but he, you know, he had it from a young age, so it's just, that sort of stuff kind of came in on top of him, so yeah, that's the way he went out.
1: And, uh, were you close to him though, that Yeah, very years? close, yeah. yeah,
2: like I remember loads of stuff, mm. um, I remember like loads of, uh, Loads of advice he'd be giving me, you know I remember very, very clearly Like, like, like remember me and you talking this Saturday That's how clear it is in my mind You know, I'd be giving you advice Like, like I'd I'd be asked, I'd say something to him and, Or I'd say something and he'd say, that's wrong And he said, if you don't know, ask a question Ask anybody, they'll tell you, you know So that's something that kind of lived with me then throughout, you know I would al- I always ask questions, I'm always curious mm-hmm. And that was advice he gave me, you know and another don't, one be was, yeah, don't be afraid to ask. Yeah, don't be afraid to ask. Another one was like Never Back Down. Now it didn't, You know, I take it more symbolically, you know. Uh, never Back Down from a Challenge and Always Rise with, you know, that kind of stuff. So, yeah, he left a big impression on me and films was definitely it. Because after that, when he passed, our sort of uh, escapism, Me and Me Brother, my brother Joe, my youngest brother would be would have been too young. Was the cinema every Sunday? That was the escape, you know. You'd be in the side and you'd be hoping the mother had money to present you to cinema. And you'd go there and you'd you'd skip into two or three films after watching your first film, and that'd be the whole day, you know. So that's when the love of filmmaking came in, you know. And you'd see uh, at least one a week, or oh yeah, you'd be going to see one, but you'd skip into two or three through the fire exit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And we knew the security guards, and they kind of just used to let us in because they weren't able for the hassle. Of arguing with us, you know, so they just turn a blind eye, and you go in you know, you'd be going into eighteen films and all, and that was great crack,
1: yeah, yeah, mm. and uh, then is that when you're living in kulak is it yeah your- yeah,
2: living oh. in kulak, yeah, in a, in a, we first we lived in a, like a, just a campsite, mm. and they eventually uh, built a halt site on top of And mm. i have to say, like it was an amazing uh, upbringing because we had a field right behind us, this is where the n thirty two is now, and that n thirty two was just a field. We'd be going down, and we'd be uh, picking berries and uh, hunting rabbits. Young age children, we'd be again. Robbing us coming into this a lot. This is really betraying stereotypes, but uh, we'd be robbing the spuds down the end of the field, and we'd be selling the spuds around the camp of the farmers' spuds until one day he let a couple of shots off at us, and we we never robbed them anymore. But it was a great upbringing. We used to have this uh, this big hill, which was like fifty foot going down, and uh, we used to we used to. Uh, when I think about it now, when I think about the. Uh, how, how what it symbolizes, but we used to go to uh, the poles where you get all the politician um, placards up in the poles, take them down, and we'd sit on them and slide down all the long of the hills. Yeah. <laughs> Which we didn't know what we were doing, but uh, it was great crack, you know. Yeah, I was like when I grew up in the
1: farms, we used to slide down the hay. Yeah, the, yeah, that's great sliding down hay yeah. and down hay, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what you'd be warned about Yes, yeah. some young child. He slid down and somebody left a fork sticking up and it went right through him. Oh, <laughs> what <laughs> kind of stories your
2: mother would tell you? <laughs> to stop you from sliding
1: down hey? Yeah, it probably never happened. I'm sure it didn't happen.
2: <laughs> but that, uh, your mother would tell you these gory stories. You think it'd be straightforward enough? I used to be told about the boogeyman, whoever the boogeyman was, or Codge. Codge is the traveller one. Codge yeah. Codge is coming to get you I still haven't a clue what Codge was but it was a it was a of- scary the name at the time <laughs> so you just shut your mouth when you tell Codge is going Friend of
1: mine, uh, she said uh, she'd be told about the hairy hand. <laughs> the hairy hand. Uh,
2: that's a bit creepy. It now. is creepy. That's uh, pretty creepy. Uh, but so, were you living in a caravan then? Yeah, okay. yeah. yeah, yeah. Living in the fur until like, uh, spent two years in Kilmore flats. That was mm. the time living outside of a trailer. Mm. Uh, and then when me father, my father and mother kind of broke up or whatever, and uh, we moved back into the camp and it was a couple of weeks later that happened with him and I just lived there and I lived in the camp until I was about 13 and then just moved across the road to Darrendale to another campsite till I was 16 and I'm in a house ever since but I'm moving back into the camp next week Oh so, are you? Yeah Yeah uh, And you'd prefer to be in a campsite? Ah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah It seems it seems like any sort of problem now I know 16 up till your early 20s is your problem times of your life, but it seems like mm. Any sort of problems I had was when I got into the house. You know, especially in them little small houses, you're all up in top of each other and family are up in top and it's irritating, you know what I mean? And you can hear each other through the rooms. So now I have my own little plot in my camp, have my cabin. To me, that's peace, you know?
1: Yeah, I can understand that. I I couldn't live in suburbia. I grew up in a farm in the countryside and I, I can't. I can live right in the middle of the city. Yeah, yeah. But not in the kind of sprawling yeah, houses. Yeah. Kind yeah,
2: of, yeah, yeah, I get to it. Yeah. Well, know. it's just a concrete jungle, isn't it? Yeah, that's it's what it is. Horrible. Neighbours are all the pain. There. But it could be worse. It could be like living in Africa in a village, starving with the hunger, and your well you is could. full of AIDS, and you know that, <laughs> that wouldn't be good, now, that would it? That's. It's first world problems, Are, are You, my mother. I think she'd
1: ah uh, yeah and uh, so um I don't know what uh, yeah you see did you travel did you travel around no no, no nah, nah, travelling stopped
2: generations before me uh, yeah like my mother would have barely traveled up until she was about 5 probably and that mm. was it uh the, it, like laws came in. There was laws put in place. You know, there was. Uh, There's nowhere to stop. Yeah, it? there was like they would start with um, the ITNRC, uh commission in 1963. I think Charlie High actually came up with it. Mm. And um, this time we weren't recognised uh, as anything really. Just these mad people who decide to live in trailers and travel around the country. You know, and there was a thing in it where they wanted to liquidise traveller culture and assimilate them or absorb them into a the settlement. So you were hoping by now, this day and age, that there would be no such thing as travellers.
1: So it wasn't seen as a separate culture? Just no, not at all. Who,
2: so yeah. that that was in place for about 20 years, and, and you know, the mm. many ideas and strategies, and one of them was, you know, um, stopping from camping on private land, even public uh, council land, any sort of land. And I kind of got rid of it because you'd be prosecuted for this type of things. So, yeah, the, the travelling just, you know, stopped, you mm. know, winning the culture. There's no one doing it now, is there? Hardly now, hardly. Um... That do know of one family that still travel in a wagon, and like they're they depend on nothing, no technology, anything like that. Just one family, yeah, the really? last family, yeah. So, and then there's other travelers who would travel for the summer, yeah. But to be across Ireland, UK, up and down in in the country, but it'd be just a summer thing because the kids need to be educated in school, mm-hmm. and times are kind of ch- things are kind of changing like that, so do Yeah, you think that's probably uh, a good thing, though. That,
0: that yeah, it is good
2: in that sense. But the thing is, it's like uh, it's a weird one because. It's very, it's very difficult when you're a you like, I'm only 25. So I remember, mm. I remember where I got a, I was in second class and the third class is at the other school right beside him. When I got put into, mm. I was quite bright. Like I was doing, doing pretty well in school
0: yeah.
2: and I got put into third class and immediately when I started third class, I was put into a separate traveler class and I was given a book. This is not long ago. Like this is what, 15 years ago. I was given a book. That uh, I was reading three years previously, I was in junior oh, infants. A book I'll never forget, it, called Huggy Bear.
0: Yeah.
2: Uh, immediately, and I, they saw that I could read Huggy Bear pretty well, so they put me back in with my own class that I was with for you know four years. Yeah. But But uh, yeah, like it's very difficult, you know. Things like that are still happening. If that was uh, black kids and they were put in separate class, there'd be uproar. Oh, yeah. You good know. Look, good luck. Goodbye. Yeah. Well, it's because yeah. we're not, um, uh, you know, we don't have ethnicity recognition, you know. Although we are recognised. As an ethnic minority in any country we stay in in the world, mm. uh, we fit all the known criteria for it. We're just not recognising our, our own country of origin, you know, and mm. it's proven we've different DNA. Uh, Traveller DNA is as different to settled DNA as in, as uh, someone from Iceland would be to a Scandinavian. Uh, it's been proven, you know, so. Mm. Uh, and language, you do have a Oh, we have our own language, of course. Yeah, mm. we have our own language. Gammon is the pure version of the language, Kant is the broken down English Gammon version. Yeah. Cant um, yeah. is Kant. the broken down English. Yeah, you'd be using... And
1: gammon th- is completely different. Yeah,
2: gammon yeah. is the pure version. Yeah. You know, yeah. You'd only get somebody, uh, some old people now yeah. who would be able to speak that purely. You know, yeah. we're, we're just brought up using cant to just mix in English and, yeah. and gammon together. And there was on a bit rice. of it in Love, Hate, wasn't there? Yeah, to yeah. Give that fame. Well, Stuart would always ask me, you know, with mm. the scenes, what would you say if you were in this... This, uh, this scene, you know, so mm. I, I would say what it said, but I said, look, I'd say, you know, I'd say it in Kant mm. or gamma, whatever, and he'd, and he'd say, well, well, what would you say? I said, well, you're going to need fucking sub- subtitles, you know what I mean? People are not going to understand, but there were certain ways we could use it, so there was one there, give this fiend here in Inic. yeah so give this man her gun, and it was pretty, it was just the way it was set up, we knew what it was, you, you know, knew so. what it meant, yeah. but it was just, it was nice because it gave it just that authentic air, you know, about it, mm. uh, like, I think it was, Probably, probably the most kind of realistic, realistic uh, portrayal of Travers. Now, I don't mean the criminal elements and all that, but even the cultured side of things, and mm. and the way they behaved, the language being brought into it, the music being brought into it, mm. family, that that sort of stuff was absolutely nailed. Mm. Of course, there's Travers involved in crime, there's people involved in crime from any walk of life. You know what I mean? But mm. the cultural side of things, I think, was as as about as you know as about as real as it gets.
1: Yeah, uh, was your wife in Love, Hate? I mean, the character.
2: She is. Uh, she was settled. Settled. Yeah, yeah. she was settled, she was, and she yeah. was. Yeah, she was a sexually settled girl from my area as well. She was meant to be settled, so there was there was that sort of uh, yeah. showing that divide and showing you know a son who the son who was half and half and who was struggling with his identity. And the yeah. funny thing is, the kid who plays his son is my cousin who is. His mother settled and his father's a uh, right. traveller as well, you know, so there was that interesting dynamic. And I thought it was a really, you know, it was an interesting way to explore that, you know, identity. and Because a yeah. lot of travellers who are like that, you know, uh, even travellers who get into education and they want to pursue education, and a lot of them feel pressure to, uh, to change their accent or, or to deny who they are or to just not tell anybody who they are. And yeah. it, it happens to a lot yeah. because they're kind of getting pressure from travellers about, oh, school by, or this, that, you know. Is there? Yeah, there is that. That's why I quit school at 15, you know. Yeah. But then you're getting, you know, you're afraid, you're afraid of judgment or you're afraid of people thinking you're like this or whatever. Well, so why,
1: why is there a, a thing, an anti-going-to-school thing? Where, well, I have to
2: say, from? in the last, like, decade, it's really changed a lot. Like, uh, mm. I mean, there are more travellers now in secondary schools than there's ever been, and more travellers, you know, in universities than there's ever been. Mm. And it's really kicking off in the last decade or so. But that time, it was... Cause my cousins, you're sort of given the choice to kind of um, be a man and go and do manly stuff, you know. Mm. So, my cousins would be slagging me and saying, You know, <laughs> you're not going to make a few pounds, look at the school, boy, the big beard up, and you know this. And I, I was 15, you know what I mean? Mm. But my mother begged me to stay in school. But it was at that sort of point, I was 15, and I had already, you know, had a bare knuckle fight with a man 10 years older than me. So, my mother couldn't tell me. Not, when you were 15. When I was 15. My mother couldn't tell me I couldn't go to school then. Do you get me? That was that was it confirmed. I'm a man so I can make my mm. own decisions. And really, I, did, I actually wanted to stay in school. But it was the peer pressure and the sort of shame of going to school that stopped me from going. That, yeah. And the funny thing was, I left school and immediately joined a FOSS course. You know what I mean? What, what, and then continued education and that. which was. Yeah. But it was like a mask and tape. For education, you know what I mean? Because you did metalwork, you know, yeah, for, oh yeah, yeah. for your hands. And I had no interest in fucking metalwork, you know. It it's a bit more a manly education. A big manly education, yeah. <laughs> yeah, and it, I, I didn't use any of that education exactly. at all, you know.
1: And so tell me about this bare knuckle thing. Were you boxing, uh, actually, uh, been trained oh, as a yeah. boxer? Yeah, I boxed, you, yeah. You fought for Ireland, did you? Yeah, oh, yeah. yeah. From what age were you uh, boxing?
2: Well, I joined boxing on about... Twelve. I was living on a road where there's, say, 2,000 travellers and I was getting bullied a lot by a lot of them. Mm-hmm. And a lot of them was because I didn't have a father to take off for me. So, I joined mm-hmm. boxing and I saw, I, I, I kind of had a knack for it and within six mm-hmm. months I won a Dublin Leinster League and All-Ireland title in six months. And, uh, I just I grew in confidence. gave me amazing confidence, you know. Mm. And put it this way, the bullies never bullied me anymore, you know. Mm. And as time went on, I got better and better. I was winning titles every year. I boxed for Ireland, and then the bare-knuckle fighting came out. So
1: you boxed abroad, did you? you I boxed Azerbaijan in Azerbaijan. Or? and
2: yeah. uh, boxed in the UK, and all around, yeah.
1: You were telling me a story about uh, when you were walking around Azerbaijan, and you took your tops off. Yeah, me and <laughs> a fella
2: called Rory Dunneau, we were walking uh, around Azerbaijan, and we took our tops off, and... It wouldn't be, uh, you know, there's there's a mix of different religions, and some would be more conservative, and some wouldn't mm-hmm. be, you know. And it seemed like a chill enough place, but I was only 16, I didn't have a fucking clue, you know. Mm. Took off the top, uh, me and Rory, and the fellas were roaring behind us. These fellas, we looked behind us, they were roaring towards us, and I said, They roared on us, and they kept getting closer and closer. One of them pulled out a weapon and knife. So we just took off running. Now, at the time, we were told to go to a police station if anything like this happened. We were shown the police station by the, by the boxing team. So uh, we ran into the police station then, and lads going after us and your man told us put back on the tops and didn't really say anything to them and that was it then so we never really went outside much after that you know it was rotten food anyway. <laughs>
1: these lads were so angry that you took your tops took the top off they were going yeah. after you and I like, was that impressive looking <laughs> <laughs> yeah 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 our women are looking at you <laughs>
0: yeah.
1: and so how who, who I, I presume it wasn't your decision to do bare knuckle was it or what I mean I, I don't know yeah how it was believe it or not was it yeah, yeah
2: because I come from a family who uh traditionally wouldn't have done a lot of boxing or fighting, bare knuckle mm. or anything like that. My grandfather would have done a bit, but his sons and stuff wouldn't have. And uh yeah, it came to a point where we were having this argument with a family and the way to settle in instead of going down the feud scenario mm. was to have some fights. And um a couple of them sent over for fights and the the fellows who were sent over were all kind of boxers, and they were sent over my uncles and, and stuff and cousins who weren't boxers. And mm. I was fifteen at the time. But although I was one of these titles, none of my family thought I could go out and fight a man. You know, mm. they were telling me not to do it. And I knew one of me one of one of my me family members in particular was going to get a bad beat down from this fellow. So I said, I'll take his place. And you know, he wanted me to take it because he knew what was going to happen. You know, but he was saying, no, it's grand. I could fight. And everybody else telling you oh, you're too young. Wait a few years. Whatever. I said, no, I'm ready now. I'm, I can do it now. I want him now. So we ended up going on fighting, whatever. I won't lie, I was very nervous because I was only 15. And when I mm. got there, and there was a big crowd of strange people 500 people you're, you know, you're a bit nervous a lot more than any fight I had in the ring. But uh, mm. I got kind of lucky, I hit him a few punches and knocked him down a couple of times. And then I knocked him out after about 42 seconds 43 seconds, I think it was. Yeah, so and that was that was it. Then I, I grew up, I was a man. Uh, <laughs> I'm a manly man now.
1: Yeah. And did you fight more after that, bare knuckle? Yeah. yeah I've obviously. fought a few
2: more times, times after that,
1: yeah. Yeah. But like, you see, what I don't understand is how, imagine if I, if I was born into a the travelling community and I wouldn't be able to fight. <laughs> but that's what, the what thing. What would happen to me? See, <laughs>
2: thing, the, the thing is like, um, a, a fellow you know. would really—it'd be very rare that a fellow would send for somebody who was not his match with size or skill. Do you get me? Mm. So if you were to send for somebody who you knew you were going to blow away, they're going to put someone else who was able for you forward. Mm. And there's no shame in someone else taking your place because it's not a match. You know mm. what I mean? So that's the—that's the kind of the way it goes. Like, um, like even, like the thing is I actually I love it—not just fighting. It, I love that's. That's our way. You know, there's Mm. travel organizations out there who will deny that part of our culture and say it's not part of our culture. And they're just lying. Mm. You know, they're trying to project a certain image uh, that they know the settled community or a certain class of settled community are going to be happy with us. I actually don't give a fuck what anybody thinks. That's You know what I mean? That's a part of our culture and I embrace it. About 99% of the time, the fights end up and you shake hands and you become friends with that person. Mm. I'd say about 1% of the time, and we're probably talking about three or four different families, that's it, mm. that this is keep going because it is an ongoing feud. And unfortunately, that gets all the press and that's why it gets, you know, all the, you know, mm. that's why the, the stereotypes come out. And But I really think, uh, I think it's beautiful just two fellas going and punch head off each other and even like that and going for a pint. All my fights, I did it with all the fellas I fought. We went and had a pint afterwards. Every fella that I fought, I see them now and I'll chat them. Like, it's like we're, we're good... F- brought us closer in a way you know kind of way so mm. i'd meet them and we'd I, I'd, be, I'd be saying hello but i'd end up staying there for two hours chatting them you know so mm. I'd, I'd embrace it to be honest
1: i can understand yeah i mean uh, the physical aspect i mean i when i play football i turn into a different person i get me lose the rag and mm-hmm. as well you know well we and it is a great thing yeah to do to yeah. physically get rid of your frustrations yeah on, on,
2: well well yeah. there's some misconceptions about it. people talk about how dangerous it is and like um, it's not really. I know that sounds ridiculous. It's not. Uh, it's you know. There's been no fatalities. No one has died out of a bare knuckle fight with travellers. You know, mm. um, because they're they're less skilled than professional boxers. They're fighting with either knuckles or hands, which means they show less headshots because you'll break your hands too easy. So you're showing you're showing more body shots. And because it's an un, there's an unlimited time, uh, you're working less and you're you're less explosive. You know what I mean. So mm. with all the components, it makes it you know, nowhere near as uh, dangerous as professional boxing, say. You know, like since 1992, uh, in MMA, there's been no one who died. Uh, and in boxing, there's been 400 people died. And if you look at 1992 with Travers, f- from right up there, like people think MMA is really dangerous. It's not. Professional boxing is unbelievably dangerous. Mm-hmm. And the Travers, never, and to go back to 1942, no one has ever died of a vernacle fight. So it can't be that dangerous. And a lot of the time, you know, it's about going out and... Just accepting the fight. You know what I mean? Mm. Just, like, there's the same with travelers. You know, I'd rather um, I'd rather get better with me coat off than me coat on. You know what I mean? So, taking a challenge, if you're going to get that, it's no shame in losing. That's the thing. There is no shame. It's fair play to you at least went out. Mm. That's what it is. And a lot of the, fight, that's what the fights are. Just a few punches. And one fella thinks he has it and he realizes he doesn't have it. He gets a hard punch and he quits. There's no shame. Do you know what I mean? Because the 90% of them are not. Trained fighters, you know what I mean. There's only a, only a certain, you know, few families maybe that are proper. They're like professionals, you know. Mm. But uh, there's no shame. I think it's a beautiful thing.
1: Yeah, and so so when you were doing the boxing and all that, both. Uh, what do you think you were going to be? What did you think you were going to do in life? Yeah. You know what I mean? Did you think you'd end up acting? No,
2: no, no. No. no, well, no. what what was your like? Professional boxing how, is what I wanted to do. You wanted to do that? Yeah. yeah, Travers weren't going professional. Wasn't the thing. You know, if you look at a. Uh, If you look at boxing from about 11 to 18 and you look at the Irish Championships and you go down there, about 40 to 50% of the finalists from like 11 to 18 will be Mm -hmm. travellers. Now, probably winners maybe 25, 30%. We make up... 0.8% 0.8% of the population not even 1% of the population right yeah. it's not, the boxing is ingrained in us you yeah. know? now we're to fight in Irish obviously as a whole as a nation you yeah. know as a nation we finished third in the European Games the other day for boxing one of the smallest the only, populations of any country in and
1: it's world. looked down on still I mean the yeah, only gold medals we get are from boxing yeah, and, no and, shown. And, and still not getting given our state broadcaster's
2: not even showing it yeah. we have to watch you know uh, English channels in order to watch it uh, so yeah boxing mm. I, the, the thing was Travellers never went pro and I wanted to go pro and I had this style for it that was kind of an aggressive power puncher Yeah. so the plan was to go pro but the plan kind of just went downhill when I hit about 17 maybe I kind of just uh, lost dedication I was I was one for I dropped three or four stone in six weeks and then pile it back on and, and eventually you know you can do that when you're when you get a little bit older it gets harder mm. and the fights are getting harder and people are hitting you know they're hitting harder and I just lost dedication and uh I was getting involved in sort of some uh, some stuff the, uh, that I, that I shouldn't have been getting involved in yeah. at a young age. Dodgy, uh, illegal stuff. Dodgy kind of illegal stuff, yeah. <laughs> and I was, uh, I, was, I was involved in that kind of stuff for a while, for a couple of years, and I got out of that. And when mm. I got out of that, I'd realised that I had no qualifications. Mm. I had no real aspirations. Uh, the boxing career was down the drain, although I was still thinking about a comeback. Uh, but I didn't have the dedication because I mm. ended up fucking building up a huge appetite and gained a lot of weight again, about eight stone, right. got madly depressed. Shit. And I uh, was in a big, bad depression, basically, until my brother opened up and just said, what's wrong with you? You know, out of the blue one day. And he said, look, you need to fucking sort your shit out, man. You know, what's what's the option here? You fucking kill yourself. Okay. You know what I mean? What's the option? Mm. So he said, uh, you know, I always loved films from a very young age. And he said, why don't you try acting? And it was just a light bulb moment, moment and I just said, okay. So I googled acting classes Dublin, the Abbey School of Drama, came up, rang them up, uh, asked them for a course and he said, did you ever act? I said, no. They said, well, there's adult for fun and at the time I wasn't feeling like adult for fun, you know. I, mm-hmm. I didn't, so they said, there's a scene study but you need experience. I said, well, look, I'll work hard. Went there, first night, everybody had two and three years experience in acting schools and... Uh, Got to read a fucking shit of brick and I wanted to run out of the class. So what the fuck am I doing here? Like, Mm -hmm. and there was an improv. There was an improv scene where uh, it was a shopkeeper customer kind of scene, and uh, the customer coming in dictates the scene. And the lad who was playing the customer coming in was like, no offense to posh people from D four and thing like that. Some lovely people from D four, but this was a posh. D4 prick mm. and he came in and he was kind of he got a bit racist in the scene with the scene partner who was playing the shopkeeper who was a Brazilian fellow of, of colour you know mm. and he got a bit raised with him and I just remember being fucking enraged and uh, because it was this, you know I could relate because I was discriminated against all my life from you know for who I am so when that scene finished this the customer becomes the shopkeeper and uh, whoever comes in the door dictates it so I volunteered to come in the door next and this was the first body act that I ever done and I ran in the door and I I robbed the place and just improvised it and robbed it and took off his shoes and socks and, and embarrassed them and choked them and then I walked out of the class because it was the end improv and I walked down the stairs and I said I'm oh, fucked now like, they're not going to want me back mm. and the teacher came out running after me I said where, where are you going I said we're going I'm sorry whatever and uh, I said no come back in your ground it's okay calm down you didn't kill anybody but you do need to learn to put a lid on it a bit, you know, and mm. we can learn you that here. So I continued with that course, and uh, by just, the end of it, I just fell in love with it. I felt absolutely amazing. it. amazing. Mm. Yeah, it was just, uh, I caught the bug. I walked mm. out I walked out from the class that night, and I was walking down Abbey Street, lower Abbey Street, and there was people looking at me really weird, you know, really weird. And I was looking at them, I was saying, what's going on, there's something on my face, and I rubbed my face, and I realised I had the weirdest grin ever that was stretched from cheekbone to cheekbone because I hadn't smiled in so long mm. and I didn't even realise I was in a daze and I came home to my mother and she was like why oh, are you so happy what's wrong? and I told her about the acting and she said ah oh, brilliant love it keep doing it so I was really doing it sort of a uh, something to do that's you fucking know? amazing that's though. how I got into it anyway yeah.
1: that's like uh, I don't know you strike me as a very intense actor like I you know like a kind of a Near Joe Pesci kind of, you yeah, know, intense, yeah, that kind of. like monged,
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. very intense, uh, <laughs> very serious method. <laughs> yeah, you weren't I got that mo- intense. I got monged for monged <laughs> <laughs> the
1: day I was there. You weren't intense anyway, yeah. Uh-huh. Well, you were intense for the wrong reasons, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Jesus, but uh, so you, you kept it up then, and uh, uh up, what yeah. did you, what, would you just did you uh, do plays or? I
2: did a, I just kept doing this training course and in the end there was like 10 minute plays or scenes on stage and improv, which I loved improv. Improv is probably my favourite, just live improv on a stage. Yeah. Given scenarios.
1: Which scares a lot of people.
2: I love it. Yeah. Because I I, 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 I think you can't go wrong. You know what I mean? That's the way I look at it. You can't go wrong. Or even if you are saying nothing, that's a choice. Yeah. And improvising is about a choice. So if you say nothing, you're improvising. Put on a face, or improvising. Mm-hmm. I loved it because it was just, you didn't know what you were going to do yourself. You didn't know what they were going to say. And if you were smart enough to listen to them and take little opportunities to give you, you come up with a great improv. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? I loved it. Uh, other people didn't like the prefer script stuff, but I loved it. So uh, I was like, uh, I was thinking that I should be starting auditioning for stuff, you know, mm-hmm. after about a year and a half of this doing part time courses. And uh, I'd heard about King of Travelers, a film that they were casting on loads of real travelers. And there was a fella in it that, um, that was cast in the lead, and he was a good friend of mine. And I said it to him, and he chance to get me in there for for um, for um, an audition, and he kind of didn't really get back to me on it. But I heard through Michael Collins, the actor Michael Collins, was in touch with my niece, uh, my cousin, and my cousin said that you know, my cousin John Connors, he's into acting and he loves it, and whatever. So he mm-hmm. got me an audition, and I showed up and. I thought I did a great audition because I had the authentic traveler thing and then I'd only fell in the room with probably training and experience, you know. I did one full-time, it was part-time but it was still, you know, and I loved it. Mm. So I thought I did. I thought I blew the socks off and I came out thinking, yeah, I've got a part. So about six weeks went by and I'd been talking to actors and they are saying, ah, for six weeks you'll never hear nothing. And then yeah. out of the blue we rang me and said, I created this part for you and uh, come in and whatever. So I started rehearsing and I rehearsed for about six weeks and after about six weeks I was rehearsing alongside the lead who was a friend of mine who we boxed together for years in the at boxing club and he ended up taking the lead off him and gave me the lead and uh, that was kind of the, the, the first opportunity he had, you know.
1: Holy yeah. shit. That's fairly... Yeah. That's but, good. Yeah. But, I mean, to, to take the lead, that yeah. <laughs> man must have been bullying, wasn't he? <laughs> Believe it or not, he wasn't. No? Uh, I
2: think he kind of... There was The thing was, there was kind of... Um, he, he was good at certain... With certain elements of the character but he couldn't really connect with... Um, with the rage, mm. the inner rage kind of thing. And uh, that'd be, if I had a strength as an actor, that'd be probably mine, you know, so I could connect with that kind of stuff. So I think that's what what kind of got it. But he ended up getting a role in the film and he playing up to his strengths and he was great. Mm. In, he was very
1: good. Uh, so, it, you know, when you were doing the, the uh, classes, is that something that they taught you to how to control that rage? Like, is that something you, you, you can't just let
2: go? Yeah. You've got to... They tried, because <laughs> <laughs> obviously, yeah, no, 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 definitely, definitely. Like, uh, they, they learned me how to uh, how to let it build, uh, yeah. and, and, and gradually, and let it out at the right times as well, you know. And also to not go from one to ten, you know.
1: But the thing is, when, uh, when in uh, in love hate, you there, it wasn't rage. It was that's what it was great about. I yeah. think the, it was so calm, yeah. But, well, there was a rage you could, but it wasn't. Uh, yeah, yeah, it like wasn't an explosion. Explosion. Or like yeah, but yeah. that's
2: why I liked it, because I'd done yeah. that a few times by then, and I, f- I found it very easy doing that. And the character was a bit more restrained and that. There was a lot more going on, you know. There was, mm-hmm. it was just, it was fantastic writing Um because there was just, it was this man who, who you know, he was very complex because he. he you know, he's making pipe bombs and selling pipe bombs for a living. But he's a really decent person. Yeah, he's a nice he, fellow, Yeah, he, he really was, and he yeah. doesn't think he's wrong. Mm. It was just, you know, uh, the,
1: whatever you do. with the What he got room. involved
2: in, you know, it's just mm. what he ended up doing in life. But you know, he ended up being a decent human being and wanted to be left alone. Mm. And he wouldn't leave him alone. He was, he didn't want a rat. He didn't want to do any of this stuff. And uh, you know, he was forced. He was forced to really come out of his skin. And you know, there was there was the scene in the in the container, and that was a scene we kind of debated about. Um, Quite a lot, like. But um, I thought it was—it was, you know—it was, was a weird scene because it, it could have been done so many ways. I, I was very adamant that I didn't want it to be done in a cold-blooded way. Mm. I wanted it to be a big deal to take a man's life The show it's a big deal. It's not, you know, not coolly kill him with a bullet in the head like Nietzsche would do or whatever. Mm. stay true to this kind of fella, but at the same time, he has to kill him because he would kill him. It's as simple as I would kill him. Why he's put in that position if someone put a bullet in my son's head? You know, I know he lived, but I'd kill him. And, uh,
1: so, did you work on that dialogue with the? With yeah, the well, Do I
2: worked. At, I worked on kind of all the travel stuff. That I worked on with Stewart all the way along, you know. So I'd be yeah. telling him, I've given them ideas and uh, you know words here and there, and you know what he could kind of say, and he put it in his own way. But the way Stuart writes, he kind of has a he has a rhythm to the way he writes, and it's mm. fucking it's amazing once you really cop at it, you know. Once you really look at the writing and to see, yeah. there's a rhythm to the way he writes, and it's it's just um, the sentences are perfect, you know, mm. perfect sounding sentences. Uh, but I thought the dialogue
1: in that container scene was incredible. Yeah, it
2: was. Yeah, when I got to, when I like uh, he was going to send me a rough verse and Like I I was just talking to him like how you were kind. Of, what would you you know what's it about and little things, little drips and drab And then he sends me on the script and I read that scene and I was just like, ah, oh, that's 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 amazing. You know, I couldn't have wished for anything better than that. You know.
1: So he sent you that as it is, as it was. Oh or yeah. Or you, yeah, yeah, yeah. We just know. talked
2: about talked about it before he even wrote it over the phone, mm-hmm. and then he just sent it. And uh, it was amazing, amazing dialogue, amazing scene as well. And uh, I love the way it was done, and uh, it was done in a real way, you know, rather than just a cool, a cool kill him. Well, I think he's probably the only character in Love Hate that
1: realised when he was killing someone what a big deal it was. That it was that wrong. It, that it was r- wrong. Yeah. Yeah. Well, or, again,
2: it's like uh, with like you know, Travers too. Very religious people. A lot. Most Travers are very religious. You yeah. know. So that was a that was definitely uh, an element to it. Weighing up the religious factor, weighing up the heaven and hell kind of thing. and he'll be tied kind of, together know, for eternity. Kind the, of you thing. know what I mean? He, he believed that. That's what he believed. So it makes it all that more difficult to do it. But at the same time, he's not involved in that, that business for no reason. You know, he's rude to us when he has to be.
1: That's yeah. an amazing scene. And he actually didn't even make his own mind up until the last minute. Yeah, the character. Minute. Yeah, Well, the, yeah. one thing
2: we talked about is that he should be thinking out loud. Mm. You know, I said it to say we should be kind of thinking out loud. Mm. Uh, and that's what he's doing he's sort of thinking out loud and feeling out the other character in the scene mm. uh, and seeing what he thinks of it you mm. know and, and looking for a reaction off him
1: and he's saying to him because uh, you man saying oh, I, I got off the gear or whatever but he's saying you're looking for excuses you're looking for excuses yeah,
2: exactly yeah. so he was just looking for uh, yeah. he was looking for a, a reason and he got it by the end you know
1: yeah, it's a great scene, yeah. and the other guy is brilliant. Who's that actor? He's very good. Thomas Collins. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
2: He's a traveller as well.
1: Yeah, yeah. Yeah. He's, yeah, he's very brilliant. good. Yeah, he's brilliant. Mm. And he was probably the most mental scene actually. Just <laughs> was,
0: you weren't it, but that uh, yeah. Jesus
2: sake That was a brilliant. Scene, it was yeah. like mental. I, I've never seen like to me, I love that scene because I've yeah. never seen nothing like that in Irish Irish television ever. Yeah, it was just madness. It was like something out of the wire on steroids. Well, you know I mean? thought it was a
1: rave yeah. when the when the scene starts. I think yeah, oh, it's yeah. a rave, but for some reason it says Jesus. Bargay, yeah, yeah, yeah,
2: yeah. <laughs> I was great. I Actually, met that actor uh, who was in the scene on the the rapper. Yeah, I met him. Yeah, at a creative group in Bali. Money's nice fella, sound fella.
1: Actually, that was an incredible scene. Yeah, yeah. it was brilliant. So, what led it led up to like to to love? Hey, what other the stuff were you doing? You did the King of the Travelers. That was a play, wasn't it?
2: King of Travers was a film.
1: It's a film, so yeah. That was a film.
2: Yeah. Well um, what happened was During jo- jo- King of Travers, I uh, before I did it, I did a small bit of Love Hate, just a couple of Couple of lines uh, that were
1: in season uh,
2: season two. two, season two, where mm. uh, I gave a pipe bomb. It was just a, kind yeah. of a special extra part, but I mm. just wanted to get on a set before i done King of the Travelers to see what a set was like because I was afraid I was going to, you know, die in shock. Yeah. So just by, you know, he came up to the boxing club looking for a few people and whatever, and he said, There's one character that has a couple of lines. And I said, Oh, yeah, cool. I was in the boxing club just looking for tough looking guys, is what he said. Mm. So I said, Yeah, well, I, I do it if I have a couple of lines. I said to, to the cast lady, he was like the assistant to the casting. And uh, so I ended up going, got a couple of lines, and uh, that was that. Had a great time, met Dave Caffrey, lovely man. Mm-hmm. And then um, it must have been a year and a half later, in the Galway f- film flat, mm-hmm. uh, Stuart Carlin just kind of bumped into me and he'd watched Kingless Ravers and Stalker, the second film I'd done. One was on a Friday night and the next was on a Saturday night. And at the Saturday night, I came out of the cinema and I was in a kind of a daze walking down the steps it was all just, you know, very surreal and he mm-hmm. came up to me and said, hey, I'm Stuart Carlin and, you know, I loved the scene you've done a couple of years ago and I'd love you to come back and uh, I'd love to write your part." and I said, yeah, it's sound great, whatever. Mm-hmm. I didn't really th- think anything it was going to come with, I it, you know, because a lot of shit talking in the film industry, you know that's Yeah, I out. do. You know what I mean? So, But I later learned Stuart is not, one of those people yeah he's a man of his word whatever he says he does He's you know what I mean that's it mm. that's where he is where he is you know mm. and he came back to me about November then that was July he came back to me in November with an email and just said this is the script and I hope you're still doing it and I said oh brilliant so I got to do it then and went along and had some good meaty scenes with Tom Valhalla who's a, a fantastic actor you know a great actor to, mm. to be working with and then um, after season 4 he kind of gave me the choice like what do you, you know you, do you want to come back from England If so, like what direction do you want to go down? Like, do you want to go come back in a big way or do you want, you know, come back in a smaller way? But the character, he was asking you about the character. He does this with all the actors. Really? Yeah, like Ah. he discusses all the characters with all the actors. And uh, I suppose I had probably a little bit more just because it was the traveller element and he wanted to do it right. You know what I mean? So he kind of gave me that choice. And I said, well, if you're asking me, I want to come back in a big way, (laughs) obviously. (laughs) Yeah. So, uh, yeah, that's the kind of direction I went down then.
1: I think it's probably uh, you didn't audition for that. Or have, no. you, have you auditioned for for you've auditioned for King of the Travelers? All right, yeah, Travelers.
2: Yeah, I find auditions really hard. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. I just had one the other day, and it was <laughs> <looking> very hard, <laughs> horrible. Like, yeah. just give me the part and I, trust me. I know. You know, I know yeah, 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 yeah.
1: That's yeah. You often get the best parts just by knowing the maybe knowing the director, the writer, or something, or he know he's Whether seen or you do something. Or.
2: I've like uh, I think clocked up about twelve or thirteen projects down the last couple of years, mm. and, and uh, two of them were auditions; the rest of them were just given to me. So mm. uh, that's the way I like it. I Hope it keeps happening like that. Yeah, you know, because it's just I, I think it's near impossible to show your best on an audition room. I think, I so, think it's yeah. near impossible because it seems like one of the worst places in the world for creativity because it's just that pressure cooker when you go in and they're judging you. There's, a, there's, they're sticking this camera from you. There's three or four people there, and you know it's just all pressure. And there's you have to be in a queue with a lot of fellas lining up beside you. You know, uh, I, mean? I
1: know, and there's three people sitting behind a table, and it's, it's just horrible. Like yeah, it. it is, it is, yeah, <laughs> genuinely, yeah. It's sh- I I very i I've got a few auditions recently, but I've done some terrible I mean I've auditioned for ads
2: where you're jumping around pretending you're a chicken or something. <laughs> <laughs> well you know what you know what Brando did do you? No. Marlon Brando was in a class with Stella Adler back in I think it was nineteen forty seven or eight and um she the one of the one of the, the kind of teachings, uh, some of the teachings in, in, in the method. Is uh, animal work, you know, naming mm. animals and stuff, or, you know, looking at an, anim- an animal's traits and basing mm. your character off an animal. And uh, they, she started doing some animal work with him, so they asked them all to, uh, to be, I think Montgomery Cliff was in the same class, oh, and they asked them all to, to be chickens. And uh, so they're all going around, bark, 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 chickens. <laughs> so then uh, she goes, right? There's a bomb coming. There's a bomb coming down. They all start running around. But Marlon Brando was just sitting. You know, he was just bark, and He was just sitting, and said, a bomb is coming down. A bomb is coming down. A bomb comes down and explodes, and they all took off running. He stood there and said, stop. What are you doing? You know, you're a chicken. What are you doing? And he goes, yeah, I'm a chicken. What the hell do I know about a bomb? And that so, basically, that basically summed up. What it's all about, you know, what the method is about, or what acting is about, you know, is mm. that believing, you know, believing, just being in your character and believing it. Yeah. And there are stories like that that I I find inspirational. You look at the sort of work that man did. Uh, Brando, Brando.
1: incredible, yeah. And so that the way, if you're trying to, like, I mean, what 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 kind of stuff would you do for Love, Hate? What, what kind of would you have? got into character offset or no like i mean
2: I, I I I don't necessarily know if i'd believe in that sort of standing character stuff that's actually yeah. not from the method that was just something that came into it it's nothing got to do with it actually i because i trained in the Agni acting studio for a while and learned a lot about it read up in books on it but I, there is some interesting things you can do like the, the, the most important stuff you're ever going to do is just for the script yeah you know i mean just reading the script reading it reading it and mm. asking the questions what does your character want? How does he get it? Right, right, and That's right, it. Right. And they're the they're the most basic things. That's what I love doing. I get fun out of that. Or yeah. making a backstory. Yeah. You know, I don't want to do that if, if the character was very different than me. If the character was similar, like, love, hate, wasn't a big stretch, so I wouldn't be doing a big biography. On right, it. You yeah. You know what yeah, I mean? Yeah. I understand this character very, yeah. very easily. But, but what,
1: what about when you're doing a scene like that and, there's loads of people watching there's cameramen and lighting men and are they at your field division or
2: Yeah, I just wouldn't pass eating them. Just try yeah. to uh, just try to uh, just try to think of the scene and what's going on in the scene and what he's feeling right now. Yeah. And what his intentions is and how he's gonna get it. And that's all I would keep reminding myself of. Right. Yeah. And like with that scene I didn't I wouldn't speak to Thomas Collins. So I knew that would create a weirdness and an awkwardness with us. You know. So and again on Love Head I wouldn't speak to Tom Valler. Uh, especially the first season, when he like, said it all to me, and I ignored him, and I create a little weirdness between them. I, you know, I believe in that sort of chemistry and that, how that kind of how you can dis- distort it. You know, yeah. So just because the fact that you're willing to go out in a leg and be ignorant of somebody who you're working with straight away, there's a divide between you, you know. And I, I think that that comes across, then you know.
1: Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah.
2: It's you know it's something a bit different. Ah. Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah. Try anything right to it. be a con. You know. You know, but I mean, <laughs> it makes
1: it easier, doesn't yeah, it? it? If does. you, if it you're does,
2: not, yeah. well, uh, mean, the minute something says, "Well, clothing, if you want oh, a no, see no, what your adversary and you're palling around with them every minute, and you're telling each other about fucking your dogs and stuff, and you know, I mean, and cooking and 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 come down with me, yeah. it's going to be pretty hard to fucking look at them intimidately isn't it isn't, or, or to feel intimidated, yeah. You know, whereas if you have that sort of awkwardness and you're not really getting to know each other and you don't really know each other as each other, I think it's a lot easier. You
1: know? Yeah, it's easier to do the part then. Yeah, yeah. definitely. But I was listening to, uh, Dennis Hopper was talking about uh, James Dean and uh, basically you're going into a scene where there's loads of people. uh, You're doing a scene, but in actual fact, there's loads of people watching you, lighting people and gaffers and fucking focus pullers or whatever. Uh, And uh, James Dean kind of said to Hopper that you, you, you acknowledge that, like... Just if you're doing this you just look at the at the boom or
2: whatever because no one's gonna know. Yeah, but they're afraid they're afraid of looking at they're just afraid of looking away. They think it's they're doing the wrong thing, but yeah. No one knows what's behind the no camera. One, no one knows what's behind the you should shit. be looking at anything. Brando did the exact the same sure yeah, and yeah. He, Brando used to sellotape the the lines to people's chest like in Godfather <laughs> for Pacino and Rob Duval stuff, there's lines sellotape to their chest. Because he wouldn't learn his lines, you know, and that's why he'd be looking around all the time, you know. Yeah, because it's interesting, it's really human behavior, isn't it?
1: Yeah, because you would be doing that, you wouldn't be looking at a camera, you'd be looking at the ceiling, or whatever. Yeah, but if you start ignoring that, then you've got a whole area that you can't look at. It's just about about
2: being comfortable, isn't it? Yeah, comfortable with it, and just uh, just yeah, just being natural and and being able to sort of blank it out as well and just look out, look Mm. out and blank out all the cameras and the lights when you think about it, like. There's like 50 crew and your director and a camera and lights, and they're all pointed at you. Mm. and You're there to perform, like it's a pressure co-creation. So, you yeah. know, it's not, it isn't the most creative uh, atmosphere on a set, I don't think. No, you know, the only good thing about it is that you get to uh, do another take, you know, to get it right, which is yeah, know, a lot different than theater. Just to
1: theater. Yeah. have you done
2: much theater? Just bits and bobs, yeah. I have to admit, Joe, you know, I'm not like I grew up watching cinema, yeah. and watching films. Person from my background never, you know, we don't go to the theatre, so I wasn't inspired by theatre, you know. Mm. Then when I get into acting, I start watching theatre, and again, I'm not inspired by it because I've only seen probably three or four plays that blew me away, you know, mm. since and I've watched many now since I got into acting. Mm. So, especially on the Irish scene, I don't really see anything that's, you know, I don't, you know, I'm not really have the urge to go, oh, yeah. a, you know, I seen a play the other day now that was, I thought it was amazing. Um, ghosts, uh, The Dinosaurs and Monsters. Monsters, Dinosaurs and Ghosts. ghosts, I thought that was amazing. Uh, Lola Roddy and Ryan McPartland. Uh, That was an amazing play, but it's very rare, I think.
1: Yeah, I kind of agree with you. Now, I don't go to theatre that much, but uh, I find it very hard to get there's part of me just gone. This, this is just people acting
2: yeah well see, I mean, not involved yeah that's the thing because um, like that's th- that's the other thing the major thing for me is, is, is realism like my acting teacher yeah. she used to try to break me for theatre I like I gave her an awful life because I'd be like just speaking like I'm speaking to you right mm. now and she'd be like Son, you can't do that and I'm like but that's real but theater's not about that you know she was mm-hmm. an Australian classical teacher, and she taught me a lot of great stuff but she was struggled to break me in for theater mm-hmm. and the funny thing was at the end of the course we ended up going the the, thing got, the the venue got canceled and we got a smaller theater and it was the Pierce center which only had about 20 seats and the the, the stage the stage is right up on top of the seats so all my small gestures and lack of uh, voice uh, lack of, you know The projection Mm. worked perfectly, Mm. but uh, it was yeah. I just don't. I don't. It doesn't feel right to me. Mm. You know, I I I I get inspired by just realism. Realism, Mm. just a great scene between two people. Real performances. You know, that's what I love, Mm. and it's very rare you see something like that on theater.
1: Yeah, no, it's very. I've only done. I did one play. I I was in the Shawshank Redemption play. I was a, but uh, yeah, that thing of trying to project and still (laughs) remain like. Normal. and be real and try to be uh, it's
2: real very it's very hard yeah. it's very hard Yeah,
1: and also uh, I don't think of, it can be done that's being honest well probably not yeah. so you look like you might look okay to the person at the back because you're projecting but you look like an idiot to the person in front row what's wrong with that guy <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, and another thing about it is, is you're doing the same lines every night so how can you you know, kind keep of it fresh keep it fresh there was one yeah. young actor in the short anchor who said he would just Try it different. He wouldn't change the lines at all, like, but you, he didn't do it in a different way. Yeah, yeah. And that made it a bit... Some of them But was. he was saying that a lot. The older actors hate when you do that. They'd be giving out shit to you.
2: What? How are you it? If line? you deliver it differently. It's none of their they want business. It, they want
1: to say, that's the way you're going to deliver it, and that's the way you're going to do it for the next 30 nights. It's just
2: not their business. Like, yeah. just yeah. shut them fucking Fuck, fuck, them. Out and yeah. their own. fuck the, the old, old actors. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Fuck you all. Fuck them all. Fuck them. Uh, yeah, so uh, <coughs> you get, have you got a good reaction from the travelling community from the love-hate thing? And
2: Yeah, it was like... Uh, mm. First one, I just said to people I was acting, I was like, uh, you fucking agents, you know? Mm. And then I did King of the Travellers I was like, oh, that wasn't a bad film. Mm. And then when I done Love, Hate, I was like, fuck it, out, that's brilliant. I mean, <laughs> fucking Travellers... Texting me every minute on Facebook, go, I don't know, no, I want to get into acting. Oh, yeah, yeah. From yeah. all ages, you know what I mean? And there's yeah. like so many children now wanting to get into acting, and it's mad. Yeah, it's it's now being accepted. So weird, you know? Yeah. People are starting to change their views, you know? But have
1: you done any parts that aren't Traveller? Yeah, it's yeah. well,
2: about half the stuff I've done wasn't Traveller. Just, yeah. It's just the most popular thing I've done was Love Ace. Yeah. And, I mean, over a million people a week watching it. So who goes mm. and watch these, you know, low budget independent films? Like Mond? Like, <laughs> no, lo- loads of people are going to see that. Uh, it's going to be a great film.
1: Yeah. I think this is going out around the week of the film. Flower. Anyway, whatever. Watch out for Mongd. Mongd is brilliant. Um,. Yeah. Well, uh, what you, uh, thanks for coming in, and I uh, hope your career goes really
2: well for thanks the for rest of me. your life. <laughs> <laughs> so do I. <laughs> yeah. Want to keep putting food on the table, you know?
1: Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, yeah, I, I enjoy hanging out with you. Anyway. We've been hanging out in the, in the, the weirdest fucking place. places, but anyway. Yeah,
2: that night in the fucking brothel uh, was some crack. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> oh, man, you can do some cocaine. <laughs> <laughs> name, anyway, Tony yeah,
1: yeah, yeah, yeah. Great. Thanks yeah. a lot for saying that. Anyway, uh, uh, yeah, yeah. So uh, we'll probably, we'll see you down. I'll see you down Galway. Yeah, so sure, we'll have we'll the crack. We'll have the crack. The cocaine down there, sure. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. But uh, thanks. You're my supplier, so that's great. Yeah. You're very that's good no at problem. supplying cocaine. Yeah. From there, <laughs> <laughs> The best. So, uh, yeah. Thanks for a million. My Lord. All right. Let's My daughter's it. outside listening to
2: this. Oh, God. <laughs> yes. This is a joke, though. Obviously, it's okay. a joke. <laughs> Don't be ridiculous. What's cocaine? I've seen it in the films.
1: Okay, thanks. Yeah well uh, that was brilliant John Connor's I uh, love the love that man he's a good man and uh, myself and uh, John will be at the film fly in Galway uh, on the 9th of July Our film that we're both in called Monged will be uh, premiering in Galway at 10pm at the Galway Film Flat. and then on the 10th and 11th I'll be over in London in a place called an Irish bar called Jonos in uh, The 10th I'll be in Essex. On the 11th I'll be in Ealing, O's Irish Bar. And then back in Galway on the 14th I'll be uh, doing a lunchtime gig in the King's Head in Galway. So yeah, thanks a lot for listening. Uh, You can get me on uh, www.joerooneycomedian.com. Thanks to Andrew Mangan for producing. Thanks to Daniel Rooney for the music. And uh, I'll see you next week. Bye.
0: Oh, yeah, I'm sure I can be profound and just put some effort in and right okay so it's
1: like yeah coffee is like the spirituality of the soul meditation is the latte if music is
0: like coffee punk is the espresso a woman is like a coffee you must add some sugar stir her with your spoon sip her gently An Irish woman is like a cup of tea. You can always have her with a ham sandwich. A woman is like a bus. If you like her, you must sit on the upper deck. God is like a bus. He stops to let you on, and he lets you put your baggage in his luggage compartment. But he stops in every little town, which is really annoying, if you thought you were on an express God,
2: Yeah. This was a Castaway Media production.
0: Hey, if you've had a bladder leak today, listen up. I get it. I tried pills and pads for years but couldn't find relief until I found Axonix Therapy. It's a tiny device that put me back in control of my bladder. Why not see if it could work for you? Visit findrealrelief.com. That's findrealrelief.com. Consult a bladder specialist to find out if Axonix is right for you. Results and experiences may vary. For more information about safety and potential risks, go to findrealrelief.com.